Oh, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Mind, your marketing podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today on the show, we have Christian Lestrain. He is the CMO at Food Hall. We get into a discussion just about the whole food industry, really, how it's changed, how delivery has changed, and then also how independent kitchens can start to utilize some tools and innovative products and product solutions like how food is delivered to really increase their bottom line. So I enjoyed this conversation. If you're in the restaurant hospitality game, I think this is a good conversation and, and episode for you to listen to. But before we get into that, look, we put on this show, we uh, we bring it to WorkCave Social. We're a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps companies grow online. So if you're feeling stuck, you know, you need some help on social media, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us. We'd be glad to really help you out. All right. Now let's sit back and enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today on the show, I am joined by Christian Lestrange. He is the CMO at Food Hall. Christian, how you doing? Great. Great, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to have you on. I want to get into all things food hall, food delivery, how COVID has sh- shooken up the industry and, and push things forward. Like, you know, we talked a little bit off air um, quite substantially. <clears throat> but before we get into that, walk us through kind of your career journey. How did you find your way to food hall? Well, I think it kind of found me. I think uh, I've been at food hall a little bit less than a year. So I started off, as many do, kind of as an advisor. I met the CEO through a business connection from years ago. You know how you meet some guy at a trade show and 10 years ago it changes or 10 years later it changes your life. So happened to be a great guy named Bill Stavro, who's the founder of and CEO of Food Hall and came aboard as CMO, I think back like in May or June of last year. And it's been kind of a crazy wild ride so far. I think the most relevant experience up to that point was back in 2017, I was invited to join a group called Hickory Street Capital. And this is the real estate development and hospitality arm of the family that owns the Chicago Cubs. And the vision of the family, well, the the promise that Tom Ricketts, kind of the head of the family group, said when they bought the Cubs was, one, we're going to win the World Series, which thankfully they did after a very long time to all the Cubs fans out there. Two, to restore and renovate Wrigley Field to its original glory because it had turned into literally a concrete jungle. They spent, I think, close to a billion dollars renovating the ballpark. And three, to be a good neighbor. And what that meant was to expand the entertainment excitement outside of the walls of the ballpark. So the group Hickory Street Capital created a 250,000 square foot entertainment district called Gallagher Way, located right across the street and adjacent to Wrigley Field. And it encompassed, you know, award-winning hotels Zachary named after the architect of Wrigley Field. There were a dozen restaurants there of all varieties. And probably most importantly, in an effort to be a good neighbor, a public park that had a different free event every day of the year from wiggle worms for the kids to farmer's markets to ice skating in the winter and also paid events like the Bud Light concert series where we sold out Lizzo concert tickets in like 24 hours. So that, I think, experience kind of brought me into the entertainment and hospitality marketing world, which was a really nice uh, launch into Food Hall. So it's been really great, kind of like four or five years of key learning over this last stage of my career. Before that, you know, I held different roles in the agency side from traditional to digital education side. I went to school in Santa Barbara, which is not a bad place to go and got an MBA in entrepreneurship at Babson in Boston uh, back about 15 years ago. So that's it. That's my whole life story. Cool. Very cool. I I like it. Now you get brought in 
you brought in the food hall, you have the experience in, you know, entertainment, hospitality. Now walk me through like food hall is a ghost kitchen, right? But walk me through this concept. Like what is a, a ghost kitchen for those who don't know? That's a question everyone's asking. It seems like everywhere you go, you see a headline about ghost kitchen, dark kitchen, uh, invisible kitchen. There's all these crazy words. Um, in layman's terms, in plain English, the way I like to speak, take all the mumbo jumbo out. A ghost kitchen is simply a kitchen that cooks food that is not on the normal menu. Or it's a kitchen that pretty much wasn't there before. There's a couple of great examples. One, it could be a hotel with a beautiful industrial kitchen that is currently ridiculously underutilized because the hotel is 10% full. But now they expand with a delivery only menu and they can service anybody that lives within, let's say a five or 10 mile radius of the hotel. These are revenues that the hotel would never get otherwise because most people probably don't say, honey, let's go get dinner at the Comfort Suites tonight. But the Comfort Suites now could be pulling in one to $200,000 in incremental revenue by classifying themselves as a ghost or dark kitchen. Another example could be a restaurant, like a um, great example is Wyman Roberts did at uh, Brinker with It's Just Wings. Chili's launched It's Just Wings as a ghost brand overnight, and it's a $150 million business like right now because they took a thousand Chili's restaurants and they made a wing concept that wasn't there before. They partnered with DoorDash and now they have a concept that's off the menu. You can only get on DoorDash, delivered to your door, and it's an accretive $150 million business where a lot of that falls to the bottom line. And the crazy example is it could be Jordan and Christian's like grilled cheese awesomeness that we make in our dorm room basement. And we could be handing grilled cheese sandwiches out the back door to Uber, DoorDash, Grubhub, and Postmates, either to pay for our college or for beer and pizza money. You know, that's the whole gamut from a professional group like Brinker or you know, Denny's or Applebee's launching a concept down to, you know, a couple guys in the garage that are food entrepreneurs that want to go out and do something really unique. That's all ghost or dark. And I don't personally, we don't like any of those words because dark and ghost and cloud sound very shady or kind of undercover. And we can get into this later if you want, but right. our model is to try to be kind of the ghost busters of the ghost kitchen world. Okay, I like it. And we talked a little bit, right, about delivery 1.0 and then moving through to delivery 2.0, which I want you to explain. And I think it ties in really well to what you just talked about, really, which is like this democratization of food when you're able to be two guys or two food entrepreneurs. And now you can use these new <clears throat> tools that are out there. But walk me through, like, what is, for those who've never heard, you know, delivery 1.0 and then delivery 2.0? So there's a great article that came out that I'm going to quote. Um, it was in Fast Company, I think on the 15th, a guy named Sonny Dillon, who's a VC out in San Francisco. He coined the delivery 2.0 phrase, so I need to credit that source. 1.0 really was back when you started seeing mostly grub-up stickers on your favorite restaurant windows. And then people started to you know pick up, not as much, or dine in, but also order takeaway. And grub-up as a Chicago company has done phenomenally well. So getting all of the restaurants into the open for delivery mode was tricky because, you know, a lot of restaurants are paying pretty good size fees to be on the platforms. And, you know, they worry about cannibalization or they worry about somebody dining in their home and ordering a couple of dishes versus dining in the restaurant and ordering apps, a couple of cocktails, a bottle of wine, you know, much more high margin beverage on top of the food. Delivery 2.0 really is kind of the rise of the ghost or dark or cloud kitchens and 
What's interesting is that you see with the birth of any new industry, you see it kind of start to coalesce with, I think Bob Rosenberg, uh, one of my teachers at Babson said, you get a couple gorillas, a few chimpanzees, and a whole lot of monkeys. We're starting to see that emerge right now with the big gorillas being the DoorDash, the Grubhub, Uber, Postmates combining. Then you see a lot of kind of other mid-sized players jump in the space like, you know, Chili's, like Denny's, like Applebee's, like Domino's. Everybody has their own, you know, Bloomin brands now is doing their thing with like chicken. But I think what's interesting is you've got these kind of younger or more entrepreneurial people that are jumping in this space which is really interesting. I mean, you look at uh, Otto's Tacos out of New York, and this is a really, really cool brand. These are LA-inspired street tacos that Otto had as a vision, took into Manhattan, grew to a certain number of stores, COVID hit, and it killed the business. But by taking it virtual and partnering with a group called Mighty Quinn's Barbecue, now you can order Otto's Tacos only for delivery. So the brand survived the fact that it got basically slammed by COVID. You've also got a lot of other entrepreneurs that are leveraging their social media presence or their online presence to get into the food game. So you get some really interesting guys like Jimmy Donaldson, who's a YouTuber with 54 million subscribers. And honestly, I I never followed him before, but he partnered up with a guy named uh, Robert Earl. Robert Earl, of course, is Planet Hollywood and famous restaurant business. He's got 300 burger locations. So called Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast became bigger than Shake Shack overnight. So that shows the power of a social media follower partnering with somebody with, you know, the gray hair, less hair experience in the domain space, opening a new brand and with scale, making it successful very, very fast. So, and I can go on and on. There's, there's, there's other entrepreneurial type people that are doing this. What I think is kind of funny is that there's a lot of celebrities jumping into the bandwagon. So uh, you can get Hot Box by Wiz Khalifa, which is kind of like burnt ends. So the whole thing is about, you know, if you're getting high, you mm-hmm. want to order Hot Box. If that's your thing, great. You've also got uh, the rapper uh, Tyga, Tyga Bites, that you can order through another, you know, company kind of like Food Hall. But the other day, Mariah Carey announced that she's getting into this space with like a cookie brand. So, you know, you see chefs getting into this space like Guy Fieri or Rick Bayless, you see celebrities, but I think the real deal comes down to creating brands with soul that will last, you know, through the the consolidation of the industry. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like the celebrities coming into things and sometimes can act as a spike, right? So you said Travis Scott partners with McDonald's and okay, cool. I'm going to get a Travis Scott meal for three months, but I'm really McDonald's is the brand, right? And right. it's interesting when celebrities then come in and they say, okay, I'm going to create my own brand and enter this space. And then that combined in what really boils down to, and I think is the brands are great, but does the food taste good? Does it come to me? You know, is it created in a way maybe that I agree with? Is the chef good? And then does it come to me on time and does it taste good in my house, right? When we look at like the delivery mechanisms that are out there. So I do want to talk a little bit about like, so Food Hall itself, like what is Food Hall doing in the space? You said you're the Ghostbusters kind of are these ghost kitchens, mm-hmm. but how, how does the model work? So the model, I think the white space we've carved out is first of all, we're chef driven. So we create, uh, we partner with notable chefs, for example, uh, Fabio Viviani, top chef fan favorite a few years ago. He's got 35 different restaurants he's involved with. You know, he is a celebrity chef. Uh, he's a partner in Food Hall. So we would go to a guy like like Fabio and say, let's create a menu that is unique. It's different than maybe what might be in your typical restaurants. 
But more importantly, it's designed for delivery. So when you order takeaway from you know, your favorite restaurant, the delivery is usually an afterthought and what you get in the container after it's sitting in a Uber car for 30 minutes may not be what you saw on the photo when you, when you ordered by no fault of anybody. But we've reconcepted Fabio's favorite dishes, chicken piccata, his nana's meatball, rigatoni, roasted Brussels sprouts, salmon genovese, to be able to hold up in a delivery environment with you know, better recipe creation and better packaging. What we do then is we will go and license these concepts or these brands, like Fabio's brand is called Toscana. We have a barbecue brand called Smokeheads. We've got a really cool gastro pub called Three Kings Pub. We license them out to kitchens that have excess or spare capacity. Not only right now, kitchens that typically might be able to do 10 or 20 additional entrees per night, you know, even back when business was normal a couple of years ago, right? So we create the brand, we create the recipe, we spec the ingredients through kind of our uh, supply chain. We give the restaurant all the training, the recipes are up on a tech platform, the cheat sheets that the cooks need to use. We get them going on the apps, you know, DoorDash, Uber, Grubhub, Postmates. We really help them understand how to rank on the apps because if anybody has figured out how to rank on Google, ranking on DoorDash and Uber, it's a whole different algorithm that you need to learn. And we handle all the marketing. So all the kitchen has to do is cook. So it takes away, it, it makes the kitchen more or less a fulfillment partner who is executing a very systematized recipe and designed to be produced quickly and extremely profitably. And we take a revenue share similar to what Uber would take back when, you know, when Uber car was starting. So in the same way that we're taking a revenue share and empowering a whole fleet of drivers that might have a spare car in their garage, or taking a revenue share and empowering a whole group of kitchens with excess capacity that might have cooks standing around in really nice equipment not being used right now. It's interesting, right? And it really speaks to design thinking as an overarching theme to say, how do you talked about the consumer experience where delivery was an afterthought? So innovating, like innovating that delivery mechanism and then actually customizing the dishes so that there's an enjoyable customer experience on the tail end is only going to help everybody when it comes to, to revenue. And it's really like, you know, product marketing, if we, the product being the food and the chef's idea, it's fantastic to see how that can transcend downward, you know, into a kitchen and enable these chefs to, and these restaurants to, like you said, even pre-COVID create 10 or 20 more entrees. And, you know, we might be listening and going like, oh, sure, 10 more entrees. But then you start to look at those numbers over the course of a year and it can be sizable income. For, for these businesses, right? And it's a new tool in their tool belt. So I love this whole idea. It's like in marketing, even business, people talk about enabling the creator, but really becoming in this instance, it's food is a great vehicle for this. Enable the chef, be an ally to these celebrity chefs, and then also be an ally to these chefs and restaurateurs at the local level. It really is. It's cool. Very cool to it, hear about. It's a perfect win-win and it's a durable win-win for everybody. And, and one thing that I think is important is we're not necessarily after a foodie who lives downtown Chicago or Tribeca where you can get anything you want within five minutes. Like if, if you live within ordering distance from Fabio Siena Tavern, just order from there. But if you live 10 miles out in the suburbs of any one of the big cities, or more importantly, you know, the second or third tier DMAs across the country, you don't necessarily have access to chef-driven cuisine. You might have all of the chains we talked about before, Applebee's, Chili's, Denny's, you know, Outback Steakhouse, Who Lands. Those are all great. You might have a lot of QSRs, 
And you probably have a handful of really good kind of like indie mom and pop places with chefs, but you've been there like every special night for the last three years. So what we're doing is really breaking down geographic barriers and enabling access, almost creating kind of a marketplace between chefs that want to reach new consumers and consumers that want new culinary choices, but were landlocked and not able to get that. And the real winner is the independent kitchen right now. And everybody's talking about buy local and the Super Bowl ads about, you know, supporting local and all that stuff. You know, what is the industry really doing to help that independent kitchen owner where a 1% increase in their margin increases like their bottom line by 50%. I mean, no other industry operates with razor thin margins like a restaurant. So moving the needle by 1% could mean saving somebody's job or allowing a kitchen to pay rent where 92% of New York kitchens in December couldn't make the rent payment. If we can help move the needle there, that's a big win for everybody. I love it. Now, how are you going about getting connected with these independent kitchens? Has it just been like a grinding, you know, the teeth trying to get one-on-one uh, -on -one contacts? Has there been a mechanism <clears throat> that you have used to go through and really, yeah, get in touch with these kitchens? You know, it's really not that hard. A lot are finding us. So, you know, whenever somebody reads about ghost cloud, dark kitchens, you know, they do a search, food hall pops up, they fill out a form, and then we give them a call. You know, we also have a lot of uh, supply chain partners that are already calling on restaurants that bring, you know, that do podcast webinars and a lot of warm leads come to us. We've had very, very little churn in terms of licensees. We've only had one or two licensees that either have said this isn't for me or we've said this isn't for you. So yeah, it's signing up licensees has not been really a challenge at all. And it's been fun and it's been interesting and kind of rewarding to see how our licensees are graduating from phase one revenue to phase two, to phase three, to phase four very quickly. And we have a group of, you know, kind of our graduates, as we call them, that are doing a quarter million dollars in revenue a year or more. That's completely non-cannibalistic from revenue they would have otherwise had, like a hotel example before. So yeah, the licensee sign-up process is really easy. I love it. And you know, it's rewarding for everybody. Yeah, it's one of those things, right? Hearing We hear a lot of stories on this show, but I love when we can hear about products and businesses that really start to put dollars back in the pockets of local businesses and, and their partners. And, and then also simultaneously make a better experience for the customer. And it's like, when you get all those things uh, aligning, I think it's an absolute home run. So one, thank you for coming on today and telling the story. I think it's uh, people need to get more informed and understand what's going on. Two, for anyone who wants to learn about Food Hall and connect with you online, where should they head? So they're welcome to look at our site, foodhall.com, and that's food, H-A-U-L.com. Um, they can shoot me an email, christian at foodhall.com. Or, you know, if they want to just give us a call, they can call 866-212-1230, 866-212-1230. I'll respond to each one, one that calls in personally, and I'm happy to share everything that we've learned, wins and losses and everything along the way. So glad to be here, and thanks for uh, featuring the industry and having me on. No, I, I loved hearing the story. Thanks again uh, for coming on, Christian. I, I appreciated it, and I really enjoyed this episode. Pleasure. Thank you. Cool. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time. Oh.